Hi, and welcome to the Sales Enablement Pro Podcast. I'm Shauna Simawang. Sales enablement is a constantly evolving space, and we're here to help professionals stay up to date on the latest trends and best practices so they can be more effective in their jobs. Today, I'm excited to have John Paul from MySertis join us. JP, I would love for you to introduce yourself, your role, and your organization to our audience. Sure. Thank you for having me. Uh, so my name's John Paul Manti. Most people like to shorten and say JP. Uh, I live in Southern California, originally from Philadelphia, and I head up sales enablement for iCertis, which is a SaaS uh, enterprise contract management company based out of Seattle. Uh, first customer was Microsoft, so the company is actually across the street from Microsoft. I've been there three years, and we are an analyst uh, identified leader in the space of CLM or contract lifecycle management and really helping companies um, have the rubber meet the road in their digital transformation efforts around unlocking the data hiding in a lot of their most important documents in their entire company, which are their contracts. And if you think of every dollar in and out of any organization is tied to a contract, um, what would be the power of unlocking all that data to not only have it available if and when you have tough questions, such as if a pandemic hits and you wanna know who's responsible um, for that event that you sponsored and was canceled and do you get your money back, you need to go and find the force majeure clauses, which everybody's been doing. Um, so imagine if you could not only do that uh, very quickly, but have the data in your contracts proactively tell you um, what key obligations or risks or entitlements or rights you had around all of your suppliers and all of your customers. Fantastic. And yes, I had to look for a few of those myself. Unfortunately, we had to move the sales enablement soiree events out until next year. Um, but I'm glad that you were able to join us, JP. Um, I wanted to talk to you because I noticed your title in particular um, had the term culture in it. And I want you to explain to our audience um, how you perceive the responsibilities of your position as it relates to the culture aspect. Yeah, thank you. So a, a bit of the interesting dynamic of how culture ended up in my title. Earlier in my career, I worked for a, a private equity firm and I, I worked in um, industrial real estate. And so travel around the country and analyze logistical markets and um, understanding, you know, ports and infrastructure. And ultimately, we were trying to buy the farm next to the highway uh, for farm prices, get it rezoned for industrial and, and predict where a company like Amazon might want their next distribution center. Um, and there was a big gap or value that could be created when you bought land for farm prices and then sold it um, for uh, industrial warehouse uh, prices. And so that's that's what I did. And I, I worked for this, this company that was very successful and had raised $850 million and had a, just a lot of brilliant people and great people in the organization. And um, one of the things I thought what was that if you had a company that had a lot of resources and people there made money and you know had all their needs met then that would by default be a great culture because why wouldn't you have a great culture if um if you have a ton of resources and working in that environment i realized that um, my thinking was flawed and i started to get really uh, curious about leadership and about culture um, and what is it that that enables great leadership and great culture? And so that sent me on a journey where even though I stayed in real estate for over a decade, I went back and got my master's in organization development and change and leadership 
to really study the science of how do you build healthy organizations, healthy teams, and develop leaders. And I started, um, then I became a consultant and my job was to go and look under the hood at different companies from Silicon Valley startups up to Fortune 50 companies and analyze all the data uh, from within the organization measuring levels of trust and then feed that analysis back to executives to help them um, understand the things that, you know, how are they doing and then what could they do to, to strengthen or, or repair or build uh, a healthier culture as a competitive advantage for, for helping them achieve what they were trying to achieve as a company. And that was my, my dream job in a lot of ways. I then, that segued into an opportunity to help drive the culture transformation internally at Microsoft. Um, and so I went and worked at Microsoft as Satya Nadella took over CEO. He was really driving a, a different culture shift and I was part of the internal team to help activate that. And then got a call to go look at this little startup across the street and um, I was really interested in being part of a startup journey. And they said, hey, you have this sales background and this, um, this organization development and consulting lens. We think that's great pairing to help us build out this practice of sales enablement, which I didn't know what that was. And so I've spent the last three years trying to define that. And the way culture comes into it is, um, I mean, at least for me, I'm really trying to uh, having been a salesperson onboarding in an organization where you can be thrown into the deep end with a quota and uh, you either sink or swim. And if and when you swim, they may pull you out and kind of make it easier for you. But until you prove yourself um, in a lot of sales environments, you know, no one's feeding you anything. Um, I want the experience of new salespeople that are hired around the globe at Isertis to be exactly what I wish I had when I was a salesperson, where what if I, as the head of sales enablement, could design everything I do to make it so that I give a salesperson exactly what I wish I had when I was starting on the first day in, in a new role in a new sales organization. Um, when a big thing about culture and how it all ties together is like, I think of culture as an organism. Um, the culture of an organization is like this organism that is super connected to um, and, and paying hyper attention to any stimulus from external uh, you know, forces that threaten the, the organism or could help it thrive. So like how do, as an organism, a culture is trying to figure out how do we thrive um, and or survive. And uh, a lot of times that's all about learning and making sense of and so when making sense of things so when a new person comes into that organism a big part of how they're going to um to not only survive but thrive is like how quickly can they learn how things are done here and the ways people work and what's acceptable and what's not and so easy way to talk about the pairing of culture and sales enablement is we're trying to proactively lower the learning bar and uh, capture, distill, and codify the tribal knowledge of the culture, of the organization that has helped people be successful, that has helped the organization be successful, and put that in self-service systems so that a new person starts tomorrow in Europe, they're going to be able to get plugged in, and we have lowered the learning bar as much as possible, and we're continuing to try and do that, so that they can um, become part of the culture and part of helping the overall organism perform faster and better and have an experience where 
um, there's less friction in that and they feel part of a team and, and they can find individual success and contribute to the, the greater success uh, of the organization. So long-winded answer. But I love it. I do love it. And I think uh, you're right. I feel like we almost wrote an article on it relating culture to, uh, I think it was like ecosystems, um, like the coral reefs. Um, so I absolutely agree and understand that analogy. From your perspective, what would you say are the three most important ways, though, in which sales enablement has helped to either build or improve a healthy culture within your sales team? So the the first part related to what I already said is, um, you know, I found when I came in the organization, it took me a while to figure out what, you know, what what is it that this company does? How do they create value for customers? And um, what are we doing to try and redefine this space of, of contract lifecycle management? Why does that matter? And so there was just so much learning that um, a lot of times it was the executives in the company that had helped to get the organization off the ground and, and redefine the space and make advancements in the technology and platform that we sell to, um, to really create a lot of value for customers. There was this whole just way of thinking and seeing things and um, kind of consultative mindset that the only way to get it seemed to be through osmosis and time. Like uh, osmosis times time times hope equals you're onboarded. And um, for me, I went through that. And so as I went through it, I realized like, wow, this is a lot to grasp for people that aren't from this this industry. And so um, I really think of what we do as trying to capture the tribal knowledge in the organization and make it digestible uh, for people so that our executives that have the most important information, but don't have the time to transfer that to every new person, we as sales enablement are ultimately creating mechanisms for them to get time with uh, and, and mind share from our top subject matter experts or executives without, uh, without requiring all the time. So ton of videos, ton of all kinds of different assets where you can go on a self-directed learning journey and really absorb that tribal knowledge um, to help you be successful in the organization and then go and, you know, have these consultative conversations with prospective customers to advance the way they think about what contract management can do for them and how uh, leveraging the iSertis platform could really create value for their organization. Now, how would you say, though, that culture influences the qualities and characteristics that you prioritize when it comes to bringing new people into the organization, like hiring new sales reps? I was somebody that thought, you know, all people are are valuable and to be valued and hence letting go of people or firing people like just made made me sick to my stomach. And I remember I was sitting on a I was sitting on a plane and um, this poor gentleman ended up being uh, seated next to me because he had been bumped back from first class and. Um, I was reading the whole time I was in grad school and, and he finally turned to me and he said, are you an author or something? Like you're reading and taking notes this entire flight across the country. And I said, no, I'm, I'm getting my master's and, and um, doing work. And so we started talking. It ends up that he was a CEO of a Fortune 100 company. And we spent, you know, four or five hours talking because I, I now had a thousand questions and, and he had uh, 35 years of business experience. And one of the things he said that we essentially disagreed on was like, he said, whenever I'm tasked in my career, I've been tasked with going and turning around 
a difficult team or, or um, you know, division, I usually go in and fire everybody and like start off fresh. And I was like, and I thought that was such old school thinking and in a lot of ways um, had to be, you know, wrong or, or, or archaic or whatever. And uh, I've shifted that thinking because I actually think anytime you come and you're trying to build a healthy culture, that just going to that direction as an extreme is wrong. I, I don't think that's right. Um, but the I align with the thinking of like Jim Collins, who says rule number one, get the right people on the bus. Rule number two, get the wrong people off the bus as soon as possible. And your culture should become one where, you know, in, in some of his research, he talks about a uh, manufacturing facility where if they hired the wrong person, the employees would chase that person out of the building and the executives never actually had to like fire them. That's a sign of a strong culture where if you don't fit into what we're trying to do and align on values of how we behave and group norms, et cetera, then like the culture, the organism rejects you and you get kicked out. So um, I think we try and be very transparent about who we are as a company, who we're trying to be, what our values are. And when we're recruit, when we're recruiting, we want heavily to um, invest in people that uh, fit fit our culture and, and can be successful, and then also bring you know diversity and and, and different perspectives, different uh, ways of thinking and experiences. Like we want all that, but there's this alignment on values and group norms of how we how we behave and um, treat each other and how we serve customers. That if you through your own behavior or whatever. Um, show that you're not actually aligned with that, then you get, I think you get uh, invited to step off the bus pretty quickly. And, um, and that's part of a healthy culture. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now I have to ask the question because I think that this is always something sales enablement practitioners are trying to better understand, but what metrics can you associate to culture? Um, do you currently track any that help you understand how culture impacts things like sales proficiency um, and performance? Yeah, we're trying to, I'm very interested in the metric side of things and part of being sales enablement, um, you know, I, I like uh, <laughs> to, to use a, a personal analogy, like all of my strongest and or most admirable qual qualities personally my mom says come from her and any of the bad ones uh, come from my dad and so the like lens of that is anytime we win deals and or um, someone ramps quickly or you know we find success it would be great if enablement could jump up and be like see look that's because of us but anytime uh, deals are lost or things don't go well we we don't want to <laughs> <laughs> oh, whose fault's that? I don't know. That must be them, right? That's they didn't follow protocol. Um, so there's a bit of a challenge when when we look at data to try and uh, and and define, you know, what is actually leading to increased efficiency and effectiveness um, and ramp time and things of that nature. And as we're we're maturing as an organization, we're getting better data over time so that we we can we can see trends. Um, for, for me and my team and us personally, we are really looking at, uh, since we've been a, a startup that's in hyper growth, like really looking at tracking onboarding and ramp time engagement and then time to when a rep is able to, to go and, and drive significant, um, value in, in a, in a deal and, uh, and really contribute and then, um, time to ultimately achieving quota. And so, 
Um, when we see things, when we see success, like we just had one rep come in and, and really uh, do very well very quickly where they closed two deals within a few months. And um, it's hard for us as enablement to say, is that because this person comes from a, a significantly advanced background and was able to hit the ground running? Or was that because our enablement and our tools and everything else were, were really great? Or is that because this person got lucky and had some ripe opportunities show up in their pipeline as soon as they started? Um, so we're asking these questions and, and don't necessarily have always a, um, a really clear metric-based uh, science to what is going to lead to success, but we're, we're, we're trying to answer those questions. For the most part, if we, and it ends up becoming more qualitative, but um, if we make everything available to people and we, we have designed a learning journey for them to come in and, and direct their own path based on uh, where they are, what their background is, and, and what skills or muscles do they most need to develop or further round out. When people are highly engaged and highly energized to engage um, with all the, the materials that we make available to them and the processes to help them learn, when they're very proactive in how they're starting to build pipeline and connect with customers, when they take this consultative, um, you know, trusted advisor approach, those people usually find success pretty quickly. And so they're, and, and they'll be the ones that we find um, data that says, oh, wow, this, this person's doing a bunch of things right. And usually it, it fits with those, those qualities. And so we try and make onboarding include a bunch of the findings of um, what we've learned from both metrics and qualitative analysis of when things have gone really well and when top performers have come on and hit the ground running. And also for people that are no longer at the organization where things didn't work out, um, what did we learn about why you know they maybe weren't a culture fit um, or they didn't take advantage of the first few months to really learn as much as possible or they didn't maybe have uh, the background or the hunger to, to catch up on the learning curve um, to, to make it to be successful in a very consultative role, which is what ICERTIS uh, requires. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think that those are really good metrics um, though to get started with. Um, so thank you for kind of walking us through that. JB, I have one closing question for you, and, and this is more related to kind of the shift that um, a lot of organizations have had to experience in the last few months uh, with a move to kind of remote or virtual work environments. Um, what are some of the challenges that you've encountered in trying to build culture, especially culture-based initiatives, into a completely remote work environment? And have you been able to overcome them? The short answer is, have we been able to overcome them? My default would, would be no um, so far. And that's just a little bit of holding a high bar because I think it's easy to say like if people aren't complaining and their, their Zoom or Teams work, um, then you could say, yeah, we've overcome them. Everybody has connectivity. The ability to go fully remote, we were probably set up much better than a lot of organizations and our sales force was already fairly well dispersed across the, the globe. And um, so I think we, we had an advantage in a lot of ways of there weren't a lot, there wasn't that much that changed when we had to go fully remote um, other than less face-to-face -face interaction in the office and travel. Uh, the main challenge that I think we are seeing and, uh, and, and everyone else's as well is how do you recreate the dynamics 
that are available when you're face to face with people, whether they be colleagues or prospects um, that just are sharing a ton of information of what is actually going on in this organization with this person or these people. Um, what's the felt sense of, you know, I, I want to work with you or partner with you because of this interaction we've had, whether or not I understand fully what went, what, what's gone on, but like, I view you as somebody who's credible and cares about us and um, wants to develop a long-term partnership. I think it's easier for someone to get the, to that visceral um, level of awareness around who they want to partner with or not from in-person interactions. And I think it's harder to get to that when everything's remote and there can be a lot of abstraction as part of, um, you know, quality of video, voice, everything else. Like what's the felt sense of being in a Zoom call with somebody versus being in the room with them? That's the biggest challenge that we have because our competitive advantage, and this has been validated externally from customers and, and, and consultants that have worked um, with organizations that are trying to buy technology. When we ask them, hey, when we show up, what is our competitive advantage? Like how do we double down on, on what's gonna help us win? And, and the feedback has been, your competitive advantage that I assert is, is your culture. The fact that you show up with a team that's really trying to understand our world, understand our challenges, and set up a long-term partnership where um, you're going to help us move towards a better place, that can be felt in the interactions and in the responses and in the meetings and in the questions um, over time. And so we hear that a lot through the sales uh, cycle is we create that experience for customers where a you know downstream effect of the culture we're trying to build is that our sales teams are creating this connection with customers that we're here to be true trust advisors and partners for the long term with you and i just think that is way easier to do in person um, we're trying to find creative and intentional ways to do that while working remote but i think we're not there yet and um and I, I hope we can get as as strong as possible in that area, but I don't think it'll ever replicate the uh, the beauty of being face to face and breaking bread with another human. Well, thank you for being so honest with us, JP. I really appreciated your time today. Thank you for meeting with us. Absolutely, thank you. To our audience, thanks for listening. For more insights, tips, and expertise from sales enablement leaders, visit salesenablement.pro. If there's something you'd like to share or a topic you'd like to learn more about, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you.